You're listening to the Umentor Talk Show, now available on the Emoja app. I'm your host, Fatima Al Sayed. On this weekly talk show, we usually invite experts to take us through their journeys as professionals in their fields. Have you seen our new documentary series? Episode 7 just dropped today at 11 a.m. And make sure to keep an eye out for Episode 8, coming out on Wednesday. And remember, if you have any questions for our panelists, feel free to leave them in the comments section and we can get to them in the live stream. On today's show, we are happy to welcome Malak Wazne, Fadlallah, and Naim Hamdar, who will be both sharing their unique journeys with us. Malak is a photographer and filmmaker whose journey began at the young age of 14, 15. Naim is an entrepreneur who entered the payment processing industry and has never looked back since. Make sure to tune in on next week's show, the You Mentor Teen Edition, to hear from Mehendi Bakri, a Yale biomedical engineering student who is on the board of Marifa, a Shia youth organization. Assalamu alaikum, guys. How are you? We're very glad to have you guys both on the show. It's uh, very exciting to hear both of your journeys. Um, first, I think we'll start off with uh, Malak, the young filmmaker, photographer. Malak, how old are you right now? Just so people have an idea. I'm 20. Okay, and then you started in this field at the age of 14, correct? Yeah, so I started off in high school just as a hobby, but I quickly, quickly, quickly just fell in love with the art and made it more of a career for me. What inspired you to begin photography? Um, my dad, growing up, like since I, since I was born, my dad was always carrying around a camcorder, uh, filming us, taking pictures of us. And I, I was just like, at such a young age, you could just see me in front of the camera, like always obsessively just taking the, the camera out of my dad's hands. And I'm like, I want to see, I want to see. Um, and so when I could finally, you know, get my hands on my own camera growing up, I just, I started playing around with it. I was just always fascinated with angles and lighting and uh, eventually fell in love with the art of storytelling and uh, actually story listening. Cause I, I'm not, I don't tell the stories. People tell the stories and I just document them. Um, That's so interesting, story listening. Cause you don't hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think people use the term storytelling a lot, but don't realize that the, the power is in the, the people that they're interviewing and mm -hmm. them. And so it, it takes somebody to listen. So what kinds of stories inspired you early in your, early in your career? Um, I think, I, I don't know. I was just that, that type of person that when, when I talk with somebody, it's, um, it usually gets more than just surface level and small talk. Mm -hmm. We start discussing life and, uh, careers and, you know, um, choices that we've made and what we've learned and how we've grown. Uh, and so people tend to open up to me about their stories, especially in high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just started realizing when I was listening to their stories that if people really heard these people's stories the way I'm hearing their stories, people would judge less, people would empathize mm -hmm. more, people would grow together as a community more. That's amazing. And you earned a scholarship um because of these stories <laughs> can you tell us about this a little bit alhamdulillah so i it was summer of my junior year um mm -hmm. i had taken this film class uh, freshman sophomore junior year and then um I, I didn't even know about the scholarship until that year and my teacher was like okay they choose like 
80 students from around the world. Um, it's the summer film program at Northwestern University. And alhamdulillah, I was just so, so blessed to um, have known about it, to have applied to it. And then mm -hmm. I got in, I spent five weeks in Evanston, a suburb of Chicago. And um, yeah, I just, I moved there by, by myself for five weeks and we lived in the dorms. And after those five weeks, I just, I fell in love with the art all over again. And I realized this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And is this what took you into filmmaking? How was that transition? Yeah, so I was always taking pictures and video. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I find, you know, my favorite things with, with pictures and my favorite things with film. Um, but after going to the, the this film program at um, Northwestern, I I just, you know, learned so, so many more technical things, so many more creative things. And um, I kind of honed down on my interest in documentary style instead of mm -hmm. uh, fiction. And I've just been at it ever since. And you have a very successful um, page and following. Um, and you started launching your own business. What was that uh, transition like? And how, actually, why did you decide to start sharing your work publicly? I know that's a that's a hard step to take. So actually, um, I, I had always created content of my family trips and uh, and one year we were up north. We go to up, we go up north every year to Ascoda. Mm -hmm. um, we stay on the lake, and uh, some family friends of mine were up there with me. And I had made this video of just our two week trip there, and they were just tearing up, and they were like, "Malak, like you have to make an Instagram page, and you have to share your stuff." I, I was like on Instagram for like two years in middle school, and then mm -hmm. I was like, "I don't I don't want the social media life. It's too too much drama and whatever." So. When I got off of it, then then they were like, you you have to just just make one for your page at least, share your work. So I posted that video on YouTube, and uh, I started building and building and building. And um, those people initially inspired me to 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 make my Instagram. Shout out to Sarah Nadine, the crew, mm -hmm. you guys. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then ever ever since then, you know, my mom my mom has been my number one fan. My sisters, my dad. Um, and so the, this, this community, this Dearborn community, I'm just so blessed to, to mm -hmm. live here, just pushed me up. Then I, I was contacted by Musa Dekrup, the, um, the founder of the City of Dearborn Instagram page, and he started sharing my stuff on TCD. And then I got in connection with more and more people and started to learn mm -hmm. more. And from there, you got contacted by none other than the White House. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about this. <laughs> um, so I applied to be in a film program at the Arab American Museum when I was 16. I wasn't going to apply. I just felt like, I don't know, I just wasn't going to get in. I had nothing to show, like no no portfolio. Um, but they were picking 20 women from the metro Detroit area to come together and to create the short film. So mm -hmm. I created the short film uh, with with uh, along with the um, 19 other uh, young women in the group. And... Um, uh, basically, from there, we partnered up with this um, th this museum in Palestine as well, and they also created a short film. So by the end of it, we had been communicating with each other about what we were doing with our films, what we're learning along the process. And so one day, um, I'm in my uh, chemistry class or some science class in high school, and I just open my phone. I look in my email. And this email says, like, you're invited to a White House event. And I'm like, 
no way like so i show my teacher my teacher's like it's probably spam or whatever and I'm, or a scam and i was like yeah it probably is so i archived the email i go home and um i was like you know what like i don't want to listen to my teacher let me just let me just pull up the email there was a number at the bottom i called and sure enough it was actually the white house uh and so they sent me this link to rsvp for the event and it was a week before um it was a week before the event that i got the invitation and so me and my dad flew out and it was just a beautiful experience. And from that, um, the Arab American Museum then took us to Palestine. And then we met the girls that we made the film um, that, mm. we, that you know, we had been coordinating the entire yeah. year. We screened our film, then they came here. So it was just, it was just a life-changing year. A whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> um, and it's so, I think it's so important to highlight that, you know, if you had followed your teacher's advice and not looked at the email and looked into it, <laughs> you wouldn't have gotten that opportunity. Right, um, probably just would have whatever you just like, thrown it out. Basically, yeah. said no to a real invitation to visit the White House, um, yeah. which is uh, amazing. You should always follow your heart and follow, you know, your instincts and your guts. Always, always. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, how your work has changed in this COVID nineteen pandemic? Yeah. So actually. Um, you know, when it first started, Ali and I were traveling across the country. Um, this organization called Vocal hired us to make these videos and mm -hmm. we were super excited. It was something different. We had to travel for it and it was it was beautiful. Then this pandemic started happening and I just started getting messages from clients who scheduled me all the way in like July and August or um, actually, they had to reschedule till July and August. And now it's mm -hmm. July and August and things are starting to reschedule for later on. So yeah. Um, and so things started to shift and I started to um, pursue my dream in starting my own print shop. Um, for example, let me show you. <laughs> I it's just funny because I have them right here. I like I've taken prints in Palestine and in, uh, Lebanon. And I was like, you know what? Um, I want to start selling these because a lot of people tell me they want to hang them up in their houses. And mm -hmm. it, it started to shift. Um, into finding like a, you know, something I can do for my house mm -hmm. that also has to do with my art. And uh, launching your own business, um, you, uh, photography is a business and you have to interact with people and you have to go through, um, you know, sometimes people start off uh, free and then they start mm -hmm. getting paid for their work. Right. Um, so how was that transition of knowing, you know, how to price your things, how to launch it, how to, um, what your audience is. Mm -hmm. uh, walk us through that a little bit. So for me, I would take pictures. I would do things for free. I would tell my friend, hey, you want to just do a photo shoot, post them on my Instagram page. Then finally, somebody reached out to me and they're like, I want to hire you. And I was just like, I have no idea what to charge. So <laughs> my mom and my dad, we sat down and they're like, charge this, charge that, charge whatever. And you know, of course, as a beginner photographer, I completely undercharged. Like even somebody without um, like a lot of work to show, I still completely mm -hmm. undercharged. So after that, I started realizing like, okay, my volume of clients is going up. Mm -hmm. This is the amount of time I'm spending going there, uh, preparing, and then after I'm editing. So, you know, I started to see like what's really worth my time and, you know, started moving it up from there to a reasonable price. And launching your business um, in terms of selling your prints, uh, how, how, what was that process? Oh, that was like, honestly, I just 
printed out like five of my favorite prints. I posted something on my story and I was like, whoever wants to buy this, it's $33. Um, uh, and, you know, immediately like the first five were gone in like a few days. And so wow. I was like, okay, if I actually set up a website and put so many more options on there in different sizes, like how would this go? Mm -hmm. So I immediately was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, because I've been in the, the, the photo game for so long. I just said, this is what I think this print is worth and mm -hmm. what size. And I just set my own price and people are, are willing to pay, alhamdulillah. Um, and most of the, the success comes from, would you say it comes from having that community support as well? Yes, definitely. And my mom and my dad's support, yeah. which honestly, like, I can't thank them enough because so many, you know, so many parents, so many kids have these dreams and, you know, a lot of parents don't let their kids follow those dreams and, um, oftentimes it's, you know, from fear, like, you know, they, they want their kid to follow a certain path because they came here and, and, and fought through so much to give their child an opportunity and they want mm -hmm. their child to take the opportunity, but, um, alhamdulillah, I'm just, I'm so blessed that my parents are willing to listen and, you know, mm -hmm. um, encourage me. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. Um, what I was also getting to is the, uh, impact of having, um, that big, Muslim community around you that pulls you up as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a lack in uh, some places. So what advice do you give to people who live in places where they don't have that access? Oh man, um, honestly, reach out to the people who you feel like are on the same wavelength, wavelength, wavelength as you, mm -hmm. um, who are in kind of the same arenas build that community in the age of social media you can be in contact with anybody email me hey i'm, I'm you know i'm willing to help in any way that i can um you, you just have to find those people uh on instagram if you can't you know in your in your own community and build, build that online community yeah um going from there you told us a little bit um in your pre-interview um, just about uh, what you stand for and being that representation for um, the community, but not a representation in terms of, you know, being the token um, Muslim that is the person who everyone looks to in order to, you know, you know what I mean? So can you take, I want, I want it in your own words, um, instead of me summarizing it, because uh, we were speaking a little bit about the White House. So I want to get back to that. What was the experience there? Um, and how did that differ from your experience in Michigan? So after going to the White House and being able to speak uh, at the event, Alhamdulillah, mm -hmm. they passed me the mic and I was 16 and I was like, oh my God. So I just, how did, you know, how did you know what to say? <laughs> we, we were talking about um, Japanese Americans and how they were put in internment camps um, in America. And so they mm -hmm. were relating that to the Arab Muslim experience now and how we can be proactive and okay. not let things get to that point again, or relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just, you know, went off like, you know, what somebody else was saying. And I talked about barriers and how storytelling, how this is so important. And how storytelling allows for people to break down barriers and build, build, you know, bridges of, of love and community and unity. So that's what I talked about. But after that experience, alhamdulillah, so many more opportunities came my way. Mm -hmm. And I, I quickly realized that 
I can't allow the media or myself or anybody to say that I'm a representative of a community, of the Arab community, the Muslim community, of the hijabi community. Like, I just mm -hmm. can't do that. I only represent myself and my beliefs, and people can take that how they will. Um, and so I was just really careful to, to, to always state that and to, to make sure that I'm not being tokenized or, or you, you know, saying this girl believes it, so all Muslims believe it. Because, yeah. you know, oftentimes that's how, that's how we're looked at. So, um, yeah, I, just, I was just really aware of that. And, and I made sure that people knew that I, I'm just an individual. And that's so crucial when you are in the realm of media or in this industry, because it's um, an industry where the bigger organizations want to meet their um, diversity quota. You know, and they want to have that person in there to say, you know, we had the Muslim on, we had, um, you know, the black person on, we had this person on, we had, um, and we're good. Right. You know, we're done. Right. It's like, you're not, like, we're just getting started, you know, exactly. you're not, your, your quota, like, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that this is a discussion that is brought up because it is something that um, sometimes you may see. Um, you know, they're willing to fly you out somewhere to talk about something mm -hmm. um, and you're getting paid for it. Right. Oh. I mean, they, 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 they don't pay me to like, mm -hmm. do the they just would pay for my, my flight yeah, yeah. Or hotel or depending on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then you have to have also that moral base that you go from um, and mm -hmm. know when to say no and when to say yes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's good that you have that at such a young age as well. Alhamdulillah, thank you. Alhamdulillah. Um, Malak, what is your final piece of advice for our listeners before we move on to Na Brother Naim's interview? Um, final piece of advice, if you want it, is uh, do what you love. And if you find that you really love it and it's the right thing to do, then continue to do it if you feel like it's being blessed by God um, and, and you, you feel right in your soul and you feel at peace doing it then just pursue it and, and don't listen to anybody that tells you otherwise, because mm -hmm. why, why would you? Thank you so much, Malak. Thank you. Brother Naim, happy birthday, first of all. Um, I, we were told that it's your birthday today. Yes, it is. Um, so, Thank you. Of course. Um, so you're a president, entrepreneur, um, you're in the payment processing space. Can you tell us what that means, first of all? <laughs> Yeah, so it's, you know, subhanAllah, when Malak was talking, mm -hmm. there's a lot of similarities, and she's a natural born entrepreneur because, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is being able to tell a story. Uh, you have to give your vision to others for them to follow. Um, you have to be able to sell, you, you have to be a great salesman and uh, not uh -huh. like a sleazy salesperson, but you have to be, a, you know, you have to be mm -hmm. a storytelling salesperson uh people have Division. to really believe in mm -hmm. you know what you stand for yeah exactly so when malak was talking i mean it's it's uh subhanallah it's like somebody you know not, you have a natural mm -hmm. tendency to be an entrepreneur sometimes um it's a trait that you can learn but th there's certain people that are and you're also it. one of those people who were born well, at a young age you started also um as an entrepreneur so can you tell us a little bit about the things that you did yeah yeah so so my first business was a mm -hmm. marketing company um uh, at age 17 um you know as i was graduating about three months before i graduated from high school 
I sat my mom down and I said, mom, uh, when, when I graduate, I'm moving out. I'm going to college on my own. I want to pay for everything myself. I want to figure this out. Mm-hmm. So my mom sat me down and talked to me. She's like, that's not something that we do. She had my uncle call me. And I Culturally. said, okay, mom. Yeah, yeah. So I said, <laughs> okay, mom. And I just, you know, didn't mention it again. And mm-hmm. the day that I turned 18, you know, the my, my friends came. So I was moving out with two of my friends. Uh, my friends came to pick me up and I had my stuff packed. And my mom's like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, mom, I talked to you about this three months ago. I told you I'm moving out. Um, so, so it was a very big step that I took. And my uncle, I remember at the time, had a conversation with me and he said, you know, if you do this, you have to make sure that you don't fail. And yeah. that conversation kind of stuck with me. And I said, there's no way I'm failing. Like, this mm-hmm. is something I'm going to do. I'm going to succeed and I'm going to prove to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved out and it was very tough. Uh, the first, I, I would say about a year, I was trying to mm-hmm. figure out how to pay my bills and all of this stuff. I, I was responsible, but not responsible for a household. Yeah. Um, and so I had, I held three jobs. Um, I valeted cars and I, uh, I was a server at two different restaurants and going to school at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so kind of school was kind of on the back burner at the time, even though I was going, I wasn't fully focused on it. What were you studying at the time? Uh, business. So, okay. so I, I, initially I wanted to be a lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. in high school, I wanted to be a lawyer and then I realized that lawyers are liars. That's a misconception <laughs> that I had. So I told my mom, I, I did not want to be a liar. I was a horrible liar. Uh, so I can't be a lawyer. And that was a misconception, even though I would have made a great lawyer um, had I pursued it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are part of the card processing industry. What does that mean? Yeah. So uh, the card processing industry. So I got into that industry, you know, so, so my, um, my path as a, as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I said, started early yeah. and it, you know, I was in the marketing business and I, although I liked it, I did not like the people that it surrounded me with. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, um, very Islamic of me. Uh, I would okay. just say that I'll keep it at that. Um, so I got into the cell phone business with my brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a couple of cell phone stores. And through that, I had an opportunity to get into the, um, uh, the corporate world. Um, mm-hmm. I was a regional manager for a T-Mobile national authorized dealer. I overlooked about 130 stores. Um, and I got that job because you know we kind of proved ourselves in the industry by owning the cell phone stores. Uh, we, we proved our knowledge in the industry, me and my brothers. And um, it, it was just an opportunity that was like a layup for me. Mm-hmm. So I took it upon graduation and, it, you know, I worked really hard um, uh, to, to grow this, the, the market that I was given. Yeah. And, it, you know, initially when I came into the market in the first year, I would say I, I doubled it. I doubled the market. Okay. Um, so we're doing double the revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was putting a lot of miles on my cars, um, <laughs> a lot of hours. And at the end of the year, it didn't result into a very big difference between my salary and, and my commissions. 
Uh, so I said, you know what? It's my first year. I, I have to be patient. Yeah. Uh, I'll wait for my second year and see what happens there. So the second year, same thing. I hustled. I, you know, didn't quite grow the market. I didn't quite double the market, but it increased quite a bit. And my uh, pay did not. So at that point, I was, you know, very frustrated. And I, I knew that, you know, my first taste of the corporate life, I, I did not really like. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to go out on my own and do something on my own again. I just didn't know what. Um, and how did you find out what that was? Yeah, so one of my friends actually was in the business. and uh, The card business? The card processing business. Yeah. So it wasn't at uh, the level that I, I'm doing it now. Uh, mm -hmm. He was basically a credit card salesperson, like a credit card terminal salesperson. Okay. So he would go to businesses. He would lease them equipment and... Mm -hmm. He would make money on the leases and so on and so forth, uh, which isn't actually a very ethical uh, type of business because you're selling a credit card terminal that you know may cost you four hundred dollars. You're leasing it for a period of four years and collecting you know sixteen hundred dollars for that terminal, so four times as much, and it's really mm -hmm. just a terminal, right? Uh, but I got into the business because I thought I was getting into the credit card processing business and you know researching the credit card processing business what attracted me to it was the idea of residuals you sell something once and as long as that customer is happy mm -hmm. um, and and you give them what you promised you, you deliver on your promises you have that customer forever okay and it, you know that's not uh, what ended up being the, the business that I got into so as I realized that very quickly, um, I decided I needed to hit the uh, eject button and, and get out of this partnership. And in addition to that, you, you know, th there was just a lot of uh, unethical things that happened on my business partner side. So in my journey to, you know, continue on with the business, mm -hmm. in a, um, I was introduced to these guys out of Cleveland, Ohio, and. Um, I flew out there. I met them. You know, I really liked them. Uh, they mm -hmm. had been in the payment business for, um, you know, at the time it was like 25 years. And that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Well, not a long time, 15 years ago. <laughs> um, so, you know, they, they were veterans in the industry and they okay. had built and sold companies and uh, they, they were doing their like last hurrah. And I wanted to be a part of it. You know, part of what attracted me to it is, you know, the pricing that I was mm -hmm. able to achieve um, through them, I, I couldn't achieve on my own. Yeah. So it kind of uh, pushed me ahead of the game about five years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in addition to that, I didn't have to staff up. Um, okay. So, so I could go on. One, one man show, basically. I, I was a one man show. So I, I was solely focused on the sales aspect. Mm -hmm. of the business um, and, and they would be my back end uh, doing all the underwriting and the boarding and the credit checks and everything mm -hmm. that's involved in our business. Before um, we delve deeper into this, I had a quick question uh, when you mentioned uh, going into business with one of your friends. What was it hard for you to take that decision to say, you know what, I have my ethical standards and my morals and I'm going to stop here you go your way and I'll go my way. Yeah, so it wasn't really hard because um, 
initially, so I invested money with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of the money that I invested were supposed to get registered as an independent sales organization under a bank. So that's the official title of, of, you know, legitimacy in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that check um, was thrown in a drawer and it was mm-hmm. cashed and thrown in a drawer and it was cashed in his name. And I accidentally found that. Um, so I didn't say anything at first. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so I, I wanted more proof and uh, everything was in his name. And that was my first mistake. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm glad I learned that mistake early on, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a mistake that I, I would never repeat. Uh, when you go in business, it, you know, make sure that it's your name on the dotted lines. You know, if it's if it's a partnership, you and your partner do the paperwork together. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't entrust in somebody just because they're your friend to have your best interest. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, the decision, there's no friendship in business. Yeah. 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 And I realized that I realized that, um, so it wasn't a hard decision. Uh, mm-hmm. it was, I, I would say a calculated decision based on the yeah. evidence that, um, mm-hmm. you know, was before me. So what's it, tell us, uh, where the card processing industry falls in the payment, um, realm. So you have the bank, you have, uh, people purchasing, but where do you come in? Yeah. So, so the business has two sides. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's one side that's issuing and mm-hmm. that's basically, you know, an issuer is like a bank that goes out there and says, okay, we want to work with, uh, American airlines. For example, mm-hmm. we're going to create an American airlines card. So as American Airlines, we're going to give you um, X amount back every time somebody uses a card. And those are, um, you know, in terms of miles or cash back or or what have you. That's the issuing side. So anytime somebody issues a card, anytime that the consumer of that card utilizes the card, it creates something called interchange. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the interchange is collected on the acquiring side. Okay. So I, an example, um, I have a Delta American Express card. Anytime I use that card at a merchant, that generates interchange. Okay. So let's just say the interchange is generated on that is 2%. Mm-hmm. Um, I get charged by an acquirer that 2%. So the acquirer works with the merchant. So they represent the merchant. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever the merchant has a customer that utilizes the card, interchange is generated and it's charged to the merchant in okay. addition to, to, to other fees. Okay. Those other fees are collected by an organization like us because we facilitate that payment. Okay. Makes sense. So we're on the acquiring side mm-hmm. and the, uh, the, the banks are on the issuing side. Okay. Um, and you... When you found these people from, you said Cleveland? Cleveland, Ohio, yeah. Yeah. Um, you began with them and your company grew. Can yeah, you tell us? yeah. So, so initially I was, you know, like you said, I was a one-man shop. Mm-hmm. Um, I would pull, you know, probably 7 a.m. to sometimes 9 p.m. I would drive all around uh, the, the state of Florida 
So, so one thing I did, the one thing I realized, and as a business owner, you have to realize what your weak points are and what your strong points are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that I w- I didn't want to cold call. Like I, I didn't want to um, go to a business not knowing who the business owner is and having to convince them to talk to me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go into that business on an equal footing, right? Like I didn't want to look up at the merchant. I wanted to look them eye to eye and say, here's what I do. Do you have a need or do you not? Yeah. And to achieve that, you know, I needed somebody else to do that for me. Mm-hmm. So I posted, um, you know, ads in uh, telemarketing forums. And there was this one guy that would just call me religiously. And I mean religiously, like th- this guy would call me five times a day, you know, trying to convince me to um, work with him. And I'm like, listen, you know, you're really annoying. Can you go annoy <laughs> customers on my behalf? And he's like, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to tell you. This is what I do. I was like, okay. Um, but I don't want to work with the company. I want to work directly with you. Okay. And, it, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I want you to become an entrepreneur. And let's start a business together. Um, you're in India. I'm in the U.S. I'll send you a computer. I'll, you know, pay you your salary. Not knowing at the time that his salary was $400 a month. So it was like nothing. Um, I paid him 600. So for him, it was, you know, a huge promotion. And for mm-hmm. me, you know, I had a dedicated person that I could train on my business. He would set appointments up for me and mm-hmm. I would travel to these appointments. I would close the deal. I'd come back to the office, do the paperwork, board the files, download the equipment, mm-hmm. go back to the merchant. So each merchant took um, each, and when I say merchant business, each business took anywhere from five to six hours mm-hmm. between traveling and, and downloading and, and onboarding and all of that stuff. Um, and, you know, at one point I was doing 30 accounts a month on my own. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a bit of accounts to do for one person uh, doing it in this way. But, you know, I had no choice. You know, I had to succeed. I was um, older at the time. I don't want to say I was old, but I was older. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I didn't want to have to reinvent myself all over again if I failed. Yeah. What's your message for our youth today? Yeah. So so one of the things that, you know, helped ground me and, and make me who I am, and I mentioned this in the pre-interview, mm-hmm. is, uh, to be honest with you, it, it's a lot of little. Mm-hmm. And, you know, about 15 years ago, uh, I met this uh, Sayed, uh, Sayed Safdar Razi. He was mm-hmm. out of Michigan, and you, you may have heard of him. Uh, he, was, he was visiting here at our mosque um, for Ramadan. And he was so powerful, such a powerful Sayed, just being around him, his presence, it, you know, it got you to do things willingly or unwillingly. Um, you, you just moved. And one of the things that, you know, he talked to me about, I took him to Orlando to visit a friend. And on the car ride there, we talked about Salat al-Lil. And he gave me a book at the end of that trip. Um, it's a very small book. Um, uh, it taught you how to pray Salat al-Lil and the benefits of Salat al-Lil. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that was right around when I was launching my uh, company. Um, so I decided at that point that, and this was 15 years ago, I decided I'm going to consistently pray Salat al every single day to achieve these benefits. And I was selfish about it, right? Like it, it was it, it was a religious thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, it was part of my religion, but I wanted to see the, those benefits that you get from Salat al Yeah. Um, so I conformed to it and right around that time is when I launched my business. Um, so part of the, the best time to pray Salat al-Lil is 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes before Salat al-Fajr. So mm-hmm. what that does is it forces you to go to sleep early, to wake up early in order to conform to that Salat al-Lil. And the, the, the best thing you could do for Salat al-Lil is pray Salat al-Lil, pray al-Fajr, and stay up. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't an easy thing to do. Um, so, But what that did is it gave me a routine. So I would get up super early in the morning. I would pray Salat al-Lil. You know, you get up on, uh, you know, the best thing that you could do is be with God at that yeah. time of morning. You pray Salat al-Fajr. And then I had a lot of time to kill. Um, so the next thing that I would do is go on a morning run and then go to the gym. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had all this free time that I know what to do with everybody else is sleeping. Uh, so what that allowed me to do is, is, is really change my lifestyle mm-hmm. to succeed in anything that I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. that's the, the, the power of Salat al-Lil. So and I'm, my, my recommendation is not to do what I did. And although I would love for, for everybody to, to be able to do that, you know, I was so passionate about it. I bought a whole yeah. box of books from the, um, like a hundred books and I was just giving them to people and I was talking to them about Salat al because it meant so much to me. Um, but to, to have a routine and to know that nothing that you think is, if you think it's possible, it is possible. And, you know, this the, what, what Sister Malak was uh, talking about, you know, is really inspiring. Like, it's, you, you can't be limited by your past experience. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you, our past experience kind of puts limits on us. And if we operate based on our past experience or our parents' experience, mm-hmm. we're not going to go anywhere you know we're we're going to stay in a neutral position but if we know that hey god gives us all of this opportunity and there are things that god prescribes for us in order if we want more success that there are ways to do it there's god there's a certain uh, quran recitation these things work like mm-hmm. they really work um it's just how, how much are we willing to do in order to achieve what we really want to achieve. Is it something that we really want to achieve or is it just something that we talk about? Yeah. I'm seeing uh, Malak's eyes light up, so I'm going to bring her back in. (laughs) Um, Malak, do you have anything that you wanted to say? No, I was just just nodding and and agreeing. I think, um, I think uh, Naim, you're right about, you know, being, being in a neutral position. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, we actually start to move backwards because everybody else is starting to move forward. And so, you know, you're just being, you're being left behind if you're stuck in your, um, and thinking about the past or thinking about the future. 
like just yeah. about now be in the present and, and move forward. Mm -hmm. So we have a couple questions from our audience actually for you guys um, that we'll bring up right now. The first question is from Sakina Nakvi. Uh, Malak, what advice do you give to parents who see photography is not a viable profession for their kids? Um, I think I think for me it's important to 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 listen to your kids. I think um, see see what they can offer. I think challenge your kids to to show something. Challenge mm -hmm. them to build a portfolio. Maybe don't shut their dream. Not maybe. Definitely don't shut their dreams down right away. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and challenge them in their own ways. Like if they tell you they want to be a photographer, be like, okay, show me. Like you're, you're in high school right now. Like instead of, um, you, you know, spending this time doing this, this is like when you're, when you're in high school, the younger you are, the easier it is to, 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 to use uh, your phone to do something else. Because the older you grow, the more responsibility. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, start working when you're young, then you can decide what that responsibility is later. And so just ha challenge your kids to, to, to really find what they're passionate about. And they might find that they don't really like photography as much as they mm -hmm. do. Or they love it. And or they do. Right, yeah. Um, and we have uh, a question for Brother Naim. Um, so the question is, what advice do you have for balancing ethical standards and Islamic values with being successful in the corporate world? And this question is from Imran. Yeah, so I, I think I was mentioning this to you yesterday in, mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, we tend to think that we have to conform to the West in order to be successful. Yeah. The opposite is very true. Mm -hmm. The opposite is extremely true. You know, when I have a certain ethical standard that I don't break. So, mm -hmm. for example, if somebody, if I go to a, a, a meeting and they're, they're having drinks and mm -hmm. they say hey come have a drink with us and i say no this is you know why why you don't drink well it's it's against my religion mm -hmm. and 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 i go through the explanation of why i don't do something they have a different type of respect for me they may not agree with me right like they're not we, we can't all agree but we can respect each other and mm -hmm. i demand that respect and i think that respect earns me a certain reputation and meaning that if I'm not gonna uh, denounce my religion in order to, uh, you know, land a deal, you, you know, I'm not gonna jeopardize my relationship with them yeah. in order to um, get ahead somewhere else. Right, there's this quote, I'm sorry. Just, no just, worries, go for it. There's this quote, um, like if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for. If you don't stand for nothing, you'll stand for it. You'll fall for anything. Mm -hmm. so this is what it reminds me of. Like people, people really respect you when you, um, when you respect yourself. Yeah, and there's one more question um, from Sister Sakina as well. But this question is given to Brother Nine, but I'm going to give it to both of you because um, I think it uh, relates to both. What advice do you give to someone who wants to be an entrepreneur but is scared of failing? Oh, that's a good question. So. Yeah. So, so I, I told uh, Sister Fatima yesterday, I gave her an example of, you, you know, I wanted to play, I, I went out to play tennis with one of my friends in college. And I went out there, th this guy was ranked number three and number three or four in the nation, something like that, in high school. Mm -hmm. um, and we're in college, so he, it wasn't a long time since he stopped playing. Uh, I went out there and I got destroyed. Like I couldn't even see the ball. Like he would hit the ball and I'm like, where'd it go? Right. So it was that kind of game. Mm 
mm-hmm. and you know I played with him every single day. So so I got beat so bad that I made it like a personal goal to beat this guy. So I, I played with him every single day for you know at least three months mm-hmm. uh, in the heat of the sun. Failure after failure after failure after failure. I don't know if he got sick of me and said, hey, I'm going to let this guy win, or I actually really won. I mean, I I got really good, right? But the the point that I I make here, and the reason I use this story is because it's so vivid in my mind, Mm -hmm. you know, tenacity and the the, the ability to move past failure and learn from your failure, right? Like if you fail and you don't learn from it, then, you know, there's like like it's as a useless uh it's some you, you did something useless mm-hmm. right because like the, if if we fail that there needs to be a lesson mm-hmm. that that we learn from that failure mm-hmm. and you know we we get our we become our best by going under pressure and surviving yeah. that pressure right so if you're scared to fail, it's, it's the reason that you need to go into business. Like that should inspire. Like I would push you to go into business if you're scared of failing. Because you, you actually need it. You, you, yeah. you need to go through it. And Sister Malak, during our pre-interview yesterday mentioned, um, you mentioned that you had so much courage and so much uh, passion towards what you did. And you were, um, you didn't, you didn't, you lacked that, um, I think, insecurity you mentioned so can you tell us um a little bit about now and uh how that's processed yeah so i mean when i first started i i really believed in myself i had confidence i mm-hmm. did a, all all the good things that you need to to you know start yeah. and jump into your passion and uh i i guess i'm probably not probably i i took those things for granted um mm-hmm. i i didn't know you know what what you know what those qualities did for me and uh, and that I even had them and so now you know Ale, my husband and I were talking the other day about um about just how how over time and you know after six years of when I first started holding a camera how you know I kind of I kind of start to be this quote-unquote perfectionist which is a fancy yeah. way of saying you're insecure about mm-hmm. your work, um or you know you you kind of are like afraid to, to jump into something. And honestly, anytime I feel that way, I start to remind myself, what is my purpose? Why am I doing it? Who am I doing it for? And like the last thing I tell, my, tell myself is nobody tells you about their failures. People only talk about their successes. They post about their successes. Nobody posts about their failures. And so mm-hmm. sometimes you might feel like, okay, so, you know, we're seeing all the success, but we forget because it's not put in our face that, you know, people are also failing and learning. So mm-hmm. the only time some the only time you fail is when you don't learn after you fall. And so if you're able to, to pick back up and to grow, then um, then you're not failing. You're 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 on the road to success. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Fatima. And thank you so much for the questions, guys. We really appreciate it. Um so brother and I'm did you want to say something yeah I was just gonna add you know so the, the yeah. age of social media that we're in you, you only see the good 
Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. like we, we we hear about you know as entrepreneur we hear about Jeff Bezos and mm-hmm. you know, all of these uber successful people and yeah. and you know we we go into business thinking that you know in two months I'm going to be a billionaire. It's mm. not how it works. You know, if you mm. read these people's stories and and you truly know their journey, I mean they failed way more than they succeeded. But when they mm-hmm. succeed, they succeed big. Right. Thank you so much both for sharing your inspiring journeys um, that are very, very different, but very similar um, in many ways. Um, We learned a lot and I'm sure that you guys have inspired a lot of our youth to really do really follow their dreams, um, which is my takeaway from the show today. Uh, So for everyone listening in, make sure to tune into our talk show on um, next week for our show, our teen edition show with Imran Durancy as our host. Um, and he will be speaking to uh, Mehdi Bakri, a Yale biomedical engineering student who is on the board of Marifa, a Shia youth organization. Um, so please do listen in and make sure, make sure, make sure to listen to our docu-series, tune into it on YouTube Live, I'm sorry, on YouTube. Um, the eighth episode is coming out on Wednesday and the seventh episode came out today. Thank you everyone for listening in. Thank you. Thank you.